Thank you for saving me a seat right there. Okay. Thank you, boys and girls. How are you today? Good. It's good to see you all. Oh, y'all look so nice. It's so good to be in God's house in the summer and worship him. Are y'all having a good time this summer? Been on vacation yet? No. Not yet. Maybe soon. Okay. I hope, hope you have a good time. But when you come back, it's important to be in God's house. And we love seeing you here. I think Fu Lee has the Happy Club bag. Let's see what Fu brought today. It's heavy. Fu, what'd you bring, buddy? I'm going to need some help. All right, Fu, what is this? It's Spider-Man, too. Spider-Man? Wait, what's this? Oh, there's something else in there? Tell me about these men. Adventure, adventurers? I'm so out of the loop with children's toys. I need some. I need, how, do you, how do you make him do something? Oh, do you push something? What did he just do? He just makes sounds. Okay, look at those hands. What does he do? Does he fight bad guys? Okay, and, what, and who are these? Oh, this is like a, is another friend, and this is Spider-Man. And he does something a little bit different. But all these guys are good guys, and they fight the bad guys. Is that right? Press that too? I am Iron Man. I am Iron Man. Is that right? Hero up. Hero up. And that's all he wants to say this morning. <laughs> well, oh, boys and girls, what I want you to know is it's wonderful to have, you know, guys like these that help, that, that fight the bad guys and that are on the side of what's right and good. But what I want you to know is that we have somebody, look at the size of his feet. Look at the size of his hands. I want you to know that we have somebody even bigger and stronger and better than Iron Man or Spider-Man or... His little helper. His little helper. That's right. <laughs> Whatever his name is. <laughs> and that's God. And God is always with us. And, and let, the Bible says if, if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? Because God is greater and stronger and more loving and more powerful than any enemy we might have. So where is it good to have Iron Man and Spider-Man and Iron Man's little helper? No, it's, it's even... That's a transformer. Okay. As good as all these are, how much better is it to have God with us always? And he's always there to take care of us and to watch out for us. So let's thank God right now for his presence with us to take care of us. Let's bow together and you pray with me. Dear God, thank you for being with us all the time, especially when we're afraid. We will trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Here you go, Foo. Iron Man, Transformer, Spider-Man. 
Thank you for sharing your favorite toys with us. All right, boys and girls, it's a girl's turn, isn't it, Miss Karen? Ooh, will you take the bag and bring back something special next yes, week? I okay, will. all right, thank you. Boys and girls, you can go to Children's Worship with Miss Karen. Apostle Paul asked of himself how he was living. He put it like this, I die daily. And as Christians, we need to be asking ourselves, people like me that are Christians, I have to ask myself daily too, do people see in me Jesus? Am I living a life that resembles him? Am I pointing people towards the cross? You know, St. Francis of Assisi was so burdened with that. And he wrote this song, the words to this song, and set them to text like this. I first was introduced to this song in seminary. I had not heard it at my church. Nobody did it. We prayed the song, you know, prayed it together as a congregation one time, I remember, because it was printed in the bulletin. But Dr. Donald P. Husted in Worship and Evangelism had us do this song together. The sopranos sang it and the altos sang it, you know, like that. Sopranos and tenors sang it. Um, All that's to say that I found out from Brother Gary this morning that my professor, Donald Husted, went to be with Jesus this morning. And um, he was the organist for Billy Graham for years. And so he was a tough cookie in class, but he was a great guy. I know where he is. And I would like you to listen to the words to this song. I want you to look up the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. And in your quiet time, because we all need to be having one every day, not just to check it on our envelopes, but ask yourself, are you making yourself an instrument of peace? It's a hard question. Let me so long. 
Thank you, Susan. Born to eternal life. Philippians 3, 7 says, Everything that was a gain to me, I consider to be a loss compared to the blood and the cross of Jesus Christ. Will you stand as we sing hymn number 144, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. to join me as we pray. Lord, we, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be here in this place and, and just the privilege that we have to come and, and worship and, and fellowship with other believers. We acknowledge that you are indeed our creator and our sustainer and our provider in, in every way. We also acknowledge that, that we are sinners and that we have failed you this week and we ask for forgiveness of those shortcomings. We ask you now to, to take these gifts we're about to receive, multiply them, and use them to, 
increase your kingdom here and around the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, choir. Wouldn't it be good to have Jesus when we come to die, to know that that life everlasting, eternal life that Susan sang about is possible in him. I want to speak to you this morning about unity in the body. It's just a standard theme that perhaps churches need to be reminded of periodically. The importance of fellowship, the importance of unity, the importance of pulling together. Not to say that we'll never have disagreements, but you don't have to be disagreeable in those disagreements. Whatever we face, we do so as the body of Christ together. Paul is preparing for a message to the Philippians. Uh, Some women in chapter 4, Euodia and Syntyche, are in a disagreement. And as Paul so normally does, he doesn't come out early on in his letter and say, what the precipitating issue is. He lays a strong foundation for unity. And then he gets around to the point in chapter 4 of the source of the disunity. But here in chapter 2, perhaps the most famous part of this chapter is in verses 5 through 11, where Jesus empties himself and does not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Poured himself out. You're familiar with that in verses 5 through 11. These four verses lead up to that. And Paul is talking about how the church goes about encouraging unity in the body of Christ. And this is what he says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, some translations say empty conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this is where Paul breaks into chapter uh, verse 5 and gives the perfect example of someone who had everything at his disposal, sitting at the right hand of the Father, but did not hang on to that, but in humility, as the example that we are to follow, poured himself out and became a servant. Friends, if we'll do that, we won't have any trouble with unity in the body. Let's pray together. Father, give us the mindset of Christ who had everything at his disposal but did not grasp it, did not cling to it and hold on to it, but let go that he might come down to earth and take on the form of a human, and not only a human but a slave, not only a slave but gave himself up to death, and not just any kind of death, but the death on a cross. You can't go from any higher to any lower than that. And with that as our model, help us, O Lord, to pour ourselves out for each other and for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I got to thinking about church splits this week, and I heard a story about a man who was rescued on a desert island where he had been by himself for many years. 
When his rescuers discovered him, they found that he had built over the years three huts. And they said, what are the huts for? He said, well, that first hut is where I live. And he said, the second hut is where I go to church. And they said, what's the third hut? He said, that's where I used to go to church. I thought it was a lot funnier than you did. (laughs) As apparently are most of my jokes. Um, I got to looking on the internet. Don't do this now with your smartphone. But there is a record for church splits right here in Georgia. In Centerville, Georgia. Isn't that right below Macon? There are 48 Presbyterian churches. It all started in 1911 when the first Presbyterian church had... 150 members. This is only 7,000 people in Centerville. I looked it up. 150 members. It was the largest Protestant church in Centerville. But they got over into an argument over when the offering should be taken, before the sermon or after the sermon. That was the first split in 1911. The dissenting congregation became the Centerville Reformed Presbyterian Church. Several more splits occurred over the years. In 1931, a dispute arose among members of what was then called the Seventh Reformed Presbyterian Covenantal Church of Centerville over an issue that no one can remember. Half the congregation split. Nine people formed the Third Westminster Trinity Covenant Presbyterian Reformed Church of Centerville. Several more splits occurred until the most recent one, just a few years ago, was over whether or not you could check your email on the Sabbath. Or would that be considered? That sounds like, almost like the Pharisees, doesn't it? Would that be considered work on the Sabbath? Those who split off are now called the Presbyterian Totally Reformed Covenantal Westminster Sabbatarian Regulative Credo Communionist Amillennial Presupposition Church of Centerville. Paul Davis, a teaching elder in the church of the PTRCWSRCCAPCC Church, said, I think we finally got it right. We have doctrinal purity now, and we're up to six people on Sunday. So they have successfully gone from 150 to six in about 100 years because they were so concerned about doctrinal purity. It sounds so much like the Pharisees that Jesus came to challenge. There are more churches started by splits than there are by plants. Studies show there are 19,000 major church conflicts each year in the United States. That's 50 a day. 50 a day. And it's an embarrassment. Because folks on the outside, non-Christians, say, you Christians who say you're characterized by love, you can't even get along with each other. What do you have that could possibly appeal to us on the outside? So who wins when churches get at odds with one another? Satan does. Because what happens? They get off their appointed purpose. They get off task. And they are distracted by this and that controversy, this or that discussion. And they lose sight of the purpose for which God called them together. That's to serve and worship and follow him and win the lost to Christ. Paul saw signs of that happening in Philippi. And the Philippian church was one of his favorite. It was a wealthy church. Lydia The the seller of purple was a wealthy woman, and and they gave Paul contributions for the church in Jerusalem. They were always ministering him, encouraging him, and the theme of joy recurs throughout his letter to the Philippians. But here he is getting wind of a controversy that is brewing between two women that he gets to eventually in chapter 4. 
But in order to maintain unity, he points to Jesus and what Jesus had and what he gave up for our sake. And in these introductory verses, one through four of chapter two, he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and these are parallel phrases, if there is any incentive of love, if there is any participation in the spirit, if there is any affection and sympathy. And what is interesting in the Greek here is that in a conditional clause like this, by the syntax, by the the wording itself, you can anticipate what the writer anticipates, expects the answer to be. And these are called first-class conditional sentences, which means the answer to all of these is yes. If there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is. If there is any incentive of love, and there is. If there is any participation in the Spirit, yes, there is. If there is any affection and sympathy, of course, there is. All of these conditional clauses expect the affirmative. Since all these things are possible... I want to look at them more closely. The first one, any encouragement, since there is encouragement in Christ. And the word for encouragement is parakaleo. We get the word paraclete from it. We use it with reference to the Holy Spirit. Who's the paraclete? The word paraclete is to call beside, parakaleo, to call beside. That's what the paraclete is. He is one who is called beside us, who stands beside us, who is there to encourage us. And that's what Paul says Jesus is here. If there is any paraclete in Christ, if there is someone who stands beside us, encouraging us to get along, there is. If there is any incentive of love, the word or, or is consolation, encouragement. And the love is not the love we have for God, it's the love that God has for us. It reminds me of 1 John 4.11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also love one another. The love that we have for each other comes initially from God. If we can just get out of the way, we can become conduits of God's love toward others. The incentive, the consolation of love. If there is any participation in the Spirit, and the word participation here is another familiar word, it's koinoneo. We get the word fellowship from it. Fellowship, participation, the Holy Spirit, if there is any participation in the Spirit, and there is working with us, cooperating to build up the church, if there is any affection and sympathy, those are emotions. Emotions, if in the body of Christ you see someone hurting, what do you do? You share that pain. If you see someone rejoicing, what do you do? You share their joy. You, you help where you can. You do what you can. You, you emote together. You feel together. And so Paul says, if there is encouragement in Christ, incentive of love, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy, it occurred to me as I was looking at these this week that you've got the Trinity right here. Encouragement in Christ, God the Son. Incentive of love, love from God the Father. Participation in the Spirit, God the Spirit. You have the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit working with you, creating the environment for unity. All these things motivating us to work together. If all these things are available, and they are, Paul goes on, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. I have three points here, all beginning with H. 
Harmony, humility, helpfulness. Paul says, first of all, complete my joy, being of the same mind. What does that mean? It, it means as you love one another, as you spend time together in the body, you begin to think alike, don't you? If you've been married to anyone for a period of time, you know how the other one thinks. Susan starts a sentence, I finish it. I start a sentence, Susan finishes it. We, and sometimes I know what she's going to say before she says, and she knows what I'm going to say. Because we think alike. We see the same situation the same way and our minds come together. Be of the same mind, says Paul. Wouldn't you say we, we think alike? Sometimes? No? Okay. <laughs> Be of the same love, having the same love. And what I like about this is, is when you have the same love... And that love is Jesus. And he's at the top of the pyramid. It doesn't matter where your starting point is. It doesn't matter where your background is or, or the difference that you come from, where you start out. It doesn't matter where you begin. Because wherever you start, if you're heading toward the same goal, the same purpose, all those roads eventually converge on Jesus. And you set your hearts on that same goal. Not only are you drawing closer to him, but what is happening to that, that path between you? It's also coming closer together, isn't it? I talk about that with uh, folks in premarital counseling. I say, if Jesus is your foundation, and if you're working toward him and serving him, look what's happening to the two of you. You're also growing closer together. And that's what Paul is saying here. You have the same goal. The same love pointing toward that together. And then it says spirit, literally says spirit on spirit, being in full accord and of one mind. These characteristics make us one in Christ Jesus. The same mind thought, the same love, emotion, the same spirit driving us. We are here to love God and serve him. And that is our goal. That's what we're pointing toward. And it doesn't matter where we start. It doesn't matter what our background is. That's the one thing toward which we are all pointing. We're all working. We're all laboring together. And as we do that, we come closer to each other as well. I was reading a, an old book of sermon illustrations some years ago, and I saw one sermon illustration that really caught my attention. This preacher loved to go coon hunting. And uh, he says when he lets his dogs out of the pen, you know how they just get so excited and are barking and are yapping and nipping at one another. And he takes them out in the field, and they're still kind of scrapping around. But if they get the scent of a raccoon, what do they do? Man, they are take off like a shot, and they are on point together. They are heading together. They are baying together, following that scent of that, that animal that they instinctively pursue. And that's the way it is with Christians, he said. If we've lost our purpose, then... We can be scrapping around. We can be fussing with each other. We can get into disagreements or arguments. But if we remember what our purpose is, that's to love God. And if he puts us on the scent of a lost person, then all of us come together to pursue that individual for Jesus Christ. That's what we're to be about. That's the harmony in the body of Christ that is possible when we're working together to serve him. Secondly, and this is equally important, verse 3. Humility. Do nothing 
from selfishness or empty conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Count others better than yourselves. Paul put it a little bit differently in Romans 12, 3. You should not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. When someone elevates themselves in the church, pride becomes the issue, and that's the downfall. I think pride is probably the basis of most of our sins. We think we know more. We think we can do it better. We think we ought to be in charge. We think... uh, that I know better than God what ought to be happening. And that gets in the way. Paul says, in humility, count others better than yourselves. Don't, don't be selfish. Don't be conceited. That's putting yourself in the center. That's the world revolving around you, but it's not about you. Worship is not about you. Worship is about God. Worship is placing the focus on God. And to the extent that we recognize one another and, and, and look at each other, then we're taking our eyes off God. We ought to be recognizing Him and celebrating Him. And that ought to be the undergirding issue, the foundational purpose of everything we do in worship is pointing to God. A young woman went to a confessional in the Catholic Church. And she told the young priest, she said in the confessional booth, she said, I need to confess the sin of pride. She said, when I look in the mirror every morning, I'm just overwhelmed with how beautiful I am. And the priest said, Madam, that's not pride. That is delusion. (laughs) I have, have, incidentally, I have noticed that about ladies. We can be going by a mirror, and I never see a man look in a mirror, but I always see women stop and look in mirrors that they walk by. Why is that? They're always adjusting something, fixing always appearance. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) Paul said, don't do anything from selfishness or empty conceit. That's the negative. But then he says it positively. Regard one another. Count each other in humility better than yourself. And you don't have to be artificially self-effacing. You don't have to abase. If you abase yourself, God says he will abound you. If you, I'm not talking about your, your self-esteem or your self-worth. You have that in Jesus. But just don't worry about who gets the credit. I had a minister of music in my home church. I grew up in, in Avondale, uh, outside of Stone Mountain, Georgia. And incidentally, there's a reunion going on there today that I'm missing I wish I could be with all the youth that grew up in his choir. We had 120 in our youth choir growing up in the 70s in Avondale, and it was just a wonderful time to be in that church. But he had a plaque, the minister of music, on his desk, and it said, Goal, to work without having to worry about who gets the credit. Work without having to worry about who gets the credit. Because if we do our best... And give the glory to God and just get out of the way. What can he do through us? There is harmony when we work together. There is humility when we get ourselves out of the way. Finally, there is helpfulness. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Don't just focus 
about number one. Don't just look at yourself, but think about what others might be going through. Sympathize with them. Place yourself in their position. What struggles are they facing? What needs do they have? As I said before, if they're hurting, you're hurting. If they're rejoicing, we rejoice. If they have a problem, we all have a problem. That's the way it is in the body of Christ. If there's just a little blister somewhere on your hand, you notice it. It, it hurts all over. If, if there's some, a speck in your eye, you hurt all over. If the body is functioning the way it should, then any disability on any part of the body, any issue, any struggle... The whole body feels it and pulls together to overcome it. In my last church, there was, we had a congressman in our church that was under investigation um, for embezzlement. And uh, I remember when the newspaper reporters from Columbia, we were in South Carolina, came. They were nosing around our small town trying to dig up some dirt. And they actually came to church and interviewed me and and wanted to know what I thought about this individual. And I said, listen, in our church, he's a good man. He comes from a good family, and they are faithful, and they are here to worship God. And if if you're here to, you know, dig up some dirt on him from me, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. Because the church doesn't shoot its wounded soldiers. We just don't. That's not what we're about. When people are hurting, we hurt with them. When they're rejoicing, we rejoice with them. We don't kick somebody when they're down. We help all we can, any way we can, to encourage and edify and lift up. Harmony, Paul says, have the same mind, the same love, full accord in one mind, Humility, don't worry about selfishness or conceit. Count others better than yourself. All these are lessons that we can be working toward. Helpfulness, don't don't just worry about yourself, but worry, think about what someone else is going through and what you can do to help them. All this is Paul's launching point for the one who personified humility. Jesus Christ, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Think like he thought when he poured himself out and emptied himself and became one of us. If you have that mind, then harmony and humility and helpfulness will just flow. This is all part of the foundation of what Paul said the body of Christ can work toward and providing unity. When churches get off track and start squabbling among themselves, Satan wins. But when they pull together and pursue that one goal that God has given us of loving and worshiping and glorifying him and pursuing those who don't know him and be in relationship with them to bring them to him, when that is our energy, when that is what we think about, when that's what we talk about, when that is our passion and what we put our resources toward, then all the other issues will fade in insignificance and God will have won. We need a united front against the enemy because folks are watching and they're listening and they're learning 
What's important to us as the church of Jesus Christ? Which Jesus promised the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Let's pursue Jesus and focus on him and let that provide the unity that every church needs. Let's bow together. Father, you have called us together to be the body of Christ. You are the head. And the head provides the impulse for the body to think and move and speak and act. And we want to be in such close communion with you that just a glance of your eye will guide us. Just the slightest impulse of thought will direct us. Everything that you want will transpire through the nerves and muscles and tendons in this body that belongs to you. Help us, Lord, to follow faithfully, to go where you want us to go, to do what you want us to do, and not worry about who gets the credit or the glory, but just offer it all to you. Get out of the way so that you can work and receive the credit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus paid it all, brothers and sisters. There's nothing that you can do to add to your requirement for salvation. Jesus has done it all. He paid it on the cross in full. our responsibility. It's it's ours to acknowledge the need and receive it and say thank you. If today you would like to profess your faith publicly or maybe you've done so privately and you've never shared it, Jesus asks you to do so. If you need to join our church, if you need to rededicate your life, whatever decision...